This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Sayulita.com. Sayulita, Mexico is the closest thing to Planet Risa. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 124 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek Online podcast recorded live on Trek Radio on April 18th, 2013, and available for download on PriorityOnePodcast.com the following Monday. I'm James. I'm Tony. And I'm Elijah. Elijah, we have a lot going on. Why don't you tell the folks what we got this week? All right. Well, this week we trek out a hat trick for NASA's Kepler mission. This week in Stone News, we've got four new Legacy of Romulus dev blogs that we'll be discussing, and of course, the new Legacy Pack pre-order. In this week's Field Notes segment, we teach you the right way to pug the 20-man fleet action for maximum rewards. As always, towards the end of the show, we'll open hailing frequencies and review your incoming messages. Star Trek Las Vegas is just four months away, and we're already gearing up for the big event. This year, we're teaming up with Trek Radio and Stoked Radio to bring you Vegas like never before on the bridge of the Enterprise. That would be the Enterprise D, currently being restored by one Mr. Houston Huddleston that we interviewed on last week's uh, Trek It Out episode. Have you heard the episode? (gasps) You should. What? 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 We're going to be broadcasting from the Enterprise D bridge? Oh my god! I'm just trying to make people jealous. Honestly, I really am. I just I, I can help job. myself. If, if I were I, not I me, I'd myself. be jealous of me. I'm face palming right now. I'm totally face palming right now. Unfortunately, <laughs> such an endeavor isn't cheap. Priority One needs your help to raise funds that will help cover the cost of broadcasting from the convention halls during the 2013 Star Trek Las Vegas convention. We have a live broadcast, just as we did last year, stream videos and interviews, and bring you up to the second coverage of this year's convention. Our goal is $700, and we need your help. Just so you guys know, we're not taking in any of this. None of this goes in our pockets. All this goes to all the stuff for the convention. So imagine all we need are 70 listeners to donate $10, and we most certainly have more than 70 listeners. So please visit our website and click on the big orange donate button on the left side of the page. You'll be taken to the secure and ever-popular PayPal website to submit your donation. Again, this fund is to help cover the costs of broadcasting from the convention hall. This money is not for our own personal gain, nor will it cover travel, lodging, food, or activities. Help us bring the convention straight to your computer or smartphone by donating. Our goal, like we said earlier, is $700. And with your help, we can reach that goal. We mention it every week. We're looking for talented individuals to help grow the Priority One team, whether it's audio, video, community management, writing, you name it. This organization is built by volunteers, and we could use more talent to help grow our little organization. As we mentioned earlier, you can listen to us live on trekradio.net every Thursday at about 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern. 
You can chat with us in-game, or you can visit trekradio.net and jump on their IRC chat client, which can be found under the community link. Before we move on with the show, we want to remind you that Priority One Podcast offers more than just podcasts. We've got articles and blogs from some of the most respected members of the community, including our latest Dilithium Tracker articles by Sam on Maui, Part 2 of Will V's Lobi or Not to Lobi, part of his Trek It In Style blog, and our latest episode of Trek It Out, as I mentioned before. Our monthly Star Trek news podcast interviewed Houston Huddleston, the man behind the Enterprise-D restoration project. So be sure to visit PriorityOnePodcast.com for all of this great content. Well, let's get ready to Trek It Out. I don't know. Then let's Trek It Out. Well, last week I teased everyone with the news of a planet circling our nearest stellar neighbor that was just a touch too hot to be friendly to human life. I'm sorry. But to make it up to you, I will tell you about two planets circling one star, both with Earth-like diameters, both in the star's Goldilocks zone. NASA's Kepler mission has confirmed that these two planets circle a star approximately 1,200 light-years away. But wait, there's more! The mission also found a third planet with a slightly larger diameter orbiting another star's Goldilocks zone 2,700 light-years away. So there you go. I'm sorry about bringing you all a lava planet last week, but hey, here's three non-face-melty ones to make it up to you. So, hold on a second. This planet, Class M... Well, they don't know too much about the actual planet yet. They can only tell its actual physical size, like its diameter, because the planets are so small and the stars are so bright, it's hard for them to get a lot of data right now. They're going to aim more instruments at this system to see if they can determine things like atmospheric composition and figure out the planet's masses. But right now, they can tell us the right sizes and the right distance away. See, Cheeseborg has a good point. Mars technically is in the Goldilocks zone, and it's a Y-class. Yes, but it's only like 0.6. Can't hold an atmosphere. These are heavy enough to hold an atmosphere if they're dense, if they're made of the right stuff. So, of course, we'll all be like you know, 40 pounds heavier or 80 pounds heavier. We'll see. Discover something you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about. Send them over to us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com and you'll be submitted into our random drawing for 1,000 cent. All right, let's check out what happened in Star Trek Online News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, coming with the expansion in May is the new Nakara Strike Force reputation. By completing missions and events that take place both on and off Nukara Prime, players will be rewarded with Nukara marks. According to the blog by systems designer Phil Gorgonzola, <laughs> get it, Gorgonzola? Zaleski. While the list of content that will award Nukara marks has yet to be finalized, chances are, if it's intended for level 50 players and it involves Tholians, players will be able to earn Nukara marks. So like the already existing Omega and Romulan reputation system, progressing through the tiers will grant access to new passive powers and new active powers, and a wide variety of both starship and ground equipment options, a full list of items can be found in the blog, so be sure to head on over to StarTrekOnline.com to read it. Additionally, it seems that the rewards on Nukara Prime are also getting an overhaul. Some rewards will be removed and others will be replaced. For instance, missions on Nukara Prime will no longer reward Tholian Equipment Requisition Reward Packs. Instead, these missions will award Nukara Marks. So, 
How do you guys feel about the uh, direction the game is going with these reputation systems? I like it. I think it's a better, more organized way to just go after these new equipment sets that are coming out. Plus, it gives them a more structured way to say, okay, we're releasing Tholian gear, we're releasing Cardassian gear, and, and so on and so on down the line. All the different races that they're going to release space sets and ground sets for, it gives a nice, steady, even-flowing way for everybody to just follow and go get what they want in a structured environment where they're not going to make a thousand runs and maybe never get anything. So, I, so far, I really like the reputation system thing. I think it's great. You know what I like the best about it? I can ignore some of it. If I don't feel like doing it, yeah. I can go, eh, I don't, eh, I'll skip Yeah, it. exactly. I mean, you can go after what you want, and you, you don't have to go. Like, if you don't want Tholian gear, okay, don't go do it. Don't go to Nakara and don't do this. I mean, it, it just, it's easy. I like it. I, I really do. I think it's great. So many changes. OMG. Hashtag stupid. Uh, on the list of things coming down the pipeline is the highly anticipated revamp to the character trait system, which I was just, literally just playing with. I actually held up the start of the live show just like a few seconds because I was saving my brand new a, Romulan a character that seconds, I made. A few seconds. A few seconds. Shut it. <laughs> <laughs> Once a locked system bound by race and limited to a handful of traits, the new system will feel more like deck building, according to the systems designer, Jeff Hamilton, in devlog number six. And now, I gotta say, that's a great description. It is very structured. It makes a lot of sense. It's super, super easy to use. I really enjoyed making my Romulan. Plus, they've got some incredible choices, which we'll cover later. Additionally, as you move up in rank, you will have the ability to learn new traits for a complete total of nine slots available to you at level 50. Now, you might be thinking, holy crap, that's a lot of traits. But... Unlike the current system, you'll be able to purchase retrade tokens from the C-Store in case you feel you've made some gross errors along the way, which a lot of us have. God, I know my attack, which is my primary character, which I've had since day one, February 2nd, however many years ago now, three years, whatever it is, God, it seems like forever. There are traits that I look back and go, oh, so stupid, because I knew nothing the day I picked that. You know, it was the first day in the game, nobody knew anything. So this is a great, this is a very good thing. It's going to be nice. You'll get to pick all these new traits, and if you're going along and find out, hey, that trait really does nothing for me, or I'd rather have this trait because I could see where it would come in handy, you'll be able to do that. You'll be able to go back by retrait token and, and change it up, which is awesome, just totally awesome. Ultimately, the hope is that people will not have to rely on creating an alien you know, character to feel confident with their specific race of choice, because I used to see that a lot, be it human, Andorian, or even liberated Borg. People would, they wanted these traits, I wanted those traits, so they'd go in and create an alien so that they could pick specific traits for their character and then just make their alien look human or, or Romulan or whatever they wanted it to be, um, which was kind of cheesy to have to do that. And I actually did that with my engineer because after making my tack, I've learned things and said, oh, I want a human, but I want him to have these traits. And I did that, so I know. But overall, I'm pretty happy. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, have you heard any concerns? You know, anything that people are concerned about? The, the only thing I've seen that people are receiving the new trait system very well is it bad no i mean the only thing i've seen are people saying oh my gosh more clickable powers are we going to run out of screen space but generally it's it's well received <laughs> i mean the fact that you can build your character from level one to 50 and mold them into what you want it to be and then not just mold them but you're not bound by them and you can buy a respect token and start from scratch is a really modular approach that not very many mmos allow you to do now we've seen mmos like rift and you know secret world where they allow you to go into different branches but they don't really allow you to switch here we're building a trait system that gives you unique passive or active powers that you can then say you know what i don't think i need hole repair as quickly 
as I think I do. Because if I fly a cruiser, I don't need to invest that much time. So let me respec and do something else. I think it's going to be a learning experience for everybody, especially that it's nine new traits. But it's a great move. For an MMO, it's a great move. You can really customize your own experience and make your captain you without changing whether or not you're a science officer or tactical. I think it's going to bring a lot of the MMO, other MMO crowds over because they're, they want modular. They want to be able to craft their character the way they want to have the game experience. And this is a step in that direction. This is a step in that direction in a game that really only has three classes, right? You've got your healer, your DPS, and your tanker. And these traits now allow you to tweak things and maybe shift in another direction without completely changing your trait. And without introducing a skill tree. Yes. They talked about skill tree, and I wasn't super psyched on that one. So I think this is a better way to go. Well, in devlog number seven, community manager Brandon Brandflake Feltzer introduced us to the new character creator that will be introduced with the uh, expansion, Legacy of Romulus. The blog details the intended workflow of the new UI and the goals the team tried to reach. But instead of just rereading what you can easily find on the website, let's talk about our experiences on Tribble, shall we? I like the new character creation system. Nothing's been taken away, which is what we knew. You still have the same advanced features. Really, the only notes that I have are are just like these slight things. For instance, there are three buttons at the bottom. So first you pick your faction. Then you pick what class you want to be. Then you pick male, female, and race, etc., etc. When you pick your race, you have three options at the bottom that light up once you select your race. Those buttons, I think, personally, can be a little more prominent. This is me just nitpicking now, okay? Also... The difference between the races that are available and versus the locked races, I would like to see maybe on the locked races, like a, I don't know, maybe like a little lock image on it. Because it took me a while to go, wait a minute, why can't I click on that cation? It looks like the same like all the other ones. Wait, I can't move forward. I don't get it. Why? Oh, because it's locked. And that just took me a cent of it's, it's those, you know, 10 seconds of experiencing a user interface that honestly, I, I would think make or break it for some players. Maybe if it's, if you can't play Klingon or it's locked and it's only a C store item, maybe put like a little icon that just blatantly in your face says locked. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's very possible that that may have that on the finished product. Yeah, you gotta right, remember right, this right. is still, you know, work in progress. And Thomas the Cat has been killing it with the UI lately. So no, he and has. I know he's, done a lot of late nights there to oh, the yeah. point where him and Brandon and a small group of the developers have been labeled the night ward birds because <laughs> they're out late oh every night working my. on this stuff for us. For me, the experience is fine. I mean, it's streamlined. You have your advance button where you can change, you know, your face and you know, modify things so you're not stuck with the stock character that you choose. I think it's great. You know, it's just these small little tweaks that hopefully will make it in the final holodeck product. I went into the character creator and built a new Romulan, and uh, it was fantastic. It's light years better than the original. I like the preview pictures of the hairstyles. If you want to get in and start playing, it's fast. It's so much faster. Yeah, I think everyone's going to be pleased. You know, Thomas got total bow down props to you, man. You've been killing the UI, brother. Oh, actually, that reminds me. When we first reviewed the UI changes on Tribble a few weeks ago, I held my opinion about the trade and the UI and, you know, giving my review of it. But yes, 100% spot on. I mean, this is great. The trait system, the way that is now looking is fantastic. Some great art on those icons. What do we have for devlog number eight, Elijah? All right. Here we've got a devlog about the man of the hour, Thomas the Cryptic Cat. UI artist for Star Trek Online. And he offers the creative process behind the new UI changes coming in Legacy of Romulus. Again, we'd rather talk to you about it, and we have been. 
instead of reading what the blog said. But we do encourage you to go check it out and support everything and all the work that all these devs do. What we do want to point out specifically, and this hasn't hit Tribble yet, was that there are going to be a total of eight new color schemes, completely independent of which faction you're playing. So if you're a Federation captain who really likes the Gorn color scheme, well, you're good to go. When Legacy of Romulus launches on Holodeck, you can access the color scheme choice on the basic tab of the options menu. Now, those eight options include things like uh, you've got the Federation, you've got a TNG Elkars interface, a Voyager Elkars, Klingon, Gorn, Orion, Romulan, Riemann. I mean, there is plenty for you to choose from, and uh, and they look slick. They do look slick. Well, our last piece of business here is, of course, the Legacy Pack pre-order. Access to nine ships, four Vice Admiral retrofits, a uh, plus one ship for tiers one through four, and a Scorpion fighter. You can unlock a playable Riemann, a liberated Borg Riemann. That's kind of really cool. Riemann Nemesis uniform, a special Riemann Doff pack, 30 Master Keys, and three unique titles. This is a $181 value on sale for $125 for a limited time, of course. Don't wait. Get it today and get it while it's hot. I mean, if you're definitely going to go Romulan and do it right, this is a good way to start out. Holy crap, sticker shock. When I saw that, I was like, say what? $129 for what? But put it into perspective first, Tony. We talked a little bit about this in the pre-show, and it's one of the many reasons why we were a little late starting. I had to calm Elijah down. Calm down, man. No more coffee for you. I took him by his lapels and shook him. There's four retrofits in there. Those are $25 a pop normally. So that's 100 bucks right there. Yeah. Then you get $30 worth yeah. of master keys. That's $130. No, it's, no matter what, what we're talking about, you're already getting more. You've already spent your $125 right there. And then they throw on some more titles. And then they throw on some more uh, plus one ships. The plus one ships usually aren't $25. I think they range in price from 5 to 15 depending on the tier. But they're clearly giving you some value for buying up front. So basically, you know, this is all you will need to be at a little bit of an advantage as you go from tier one all the way up through tier five. They're giving you the whole package right up front. Uh, you'll always have a cool uber-powered ship to jump into at each tier. That's a bold move. $125 or $181 value. I mean, this pack will jump up at some point. Maybe not to $181, but more. I think it's a bold move. And you know what? Awesome. You know, it is a great value. You're getting a lot for it. After Tony explained it to me, you're right. It is a phenomenal value. You're getting a lot for that $125. But I think it's just, I don't think we've ever seen something like that. Something so expensive other than the lifetime subscription. Um, whether you're a free-to-player, whether you're a subscriber, it's yeah. just, that's a lot of money. It's things like this that if you're still subscribing monthly, buy yourself a lifetime subscription. The value that you get from a, a lifetime subscription significantly definitely. outweighs what you're paying monthly. And that way, if you oh, are definitely. paying monthly, that $125 doesn't seem so high, although it still is high. I'm a firm believer that you really should not be paying monthly for this game anymore. Either bite the bullet and get a lifetime subscription and you'll get so much more value for your buck or just free to play. Uh, you know, and I was going to buy it. I actually, as soon as it came up today, I was like, ooh, that's hot. I want that. But then I realized there's no Super Mo guy in there. So now I'm not buying it. There's not? Because I, I thought, no. Mm -hmm. There's a Mo guy. And it's a plus one, but it's not the Super Mo guy. It's not the one from the picture on the page. It's not that uh... bitchin' one that I want. 
I mean, unless that plus one is coming with a skin that I don't know about, but I've already bought cryptic points in advance. I've already put money in the bank. Like, it's there. Cryptic points are waiting for that Super Mo guy. Like, I have the cryptic points waiting. They're like, I'm right here. All I need is <laughs> finger on the button, and then Super Mo guy will be mine. So they've already got your money. It's, it's too late. They've already, they, they do. Already, they they, already do. they really do already have my money. It's just in cryptic points instead. It's sitting there waiting right. for Super Mogai because that's the ship I like. Like the second I saw that ship, that's it for me. Like I don't care if it's not even the most powerful. Like that, it's so beautiful. It will be my ship, period. Now, here's something I so. do want to clarify is that this $125 pack is not the expansion. Some people were concerned that, oh my gosh, so the expansion does cost money. We want to make it very clear. That this pack is for items, for ships, for a liberated Borg Remen, a Nemesis uniform. You're getting items. You will still have 100% free access to the expansion, to the Romulan missions, to the Romulan story. You could still get ships throughout the tier. This is not the cost of an expansion. The expansion is 100% free. Also, hold on a second, because I have a liberated Borg. So am I not going to have a liberated Borg Remen automatically as a lifetimer? They haven't said one way or the other, but here's something you don't see on this little page. You don't see a liberated Borg Romulan. Oh, yeah, okay. That wraps up Stone News. Let's tame that 20-man Starbase Fleet Defense mission. How about it, guys? With a little help from Matthew486DX in this episode's Field Notes. I'm sure there is an answer. Well, better get some facts. So, what is a pug? Well, a pickup group, or PUG for short, is quite literally jumping into a PvE or PvP event without a predetermined team. In other words, you run a mission or event with a bunch of perfect strangers. So what's the downside of this? Well, unlike many other MMOs, PUGs in Star Trek Online don't really know how to talk to one another, or just won't talk to one another. In most cases, people warp in, start blowing ships up, without saying a single word to one another. No one really uses the Vivox voice client, and it's almost as if the chat box doesn't even exist. So how do you work around these social inequities in Star Trek Online? Well, you listen to podcasts like ours, or watch how-to videos on YouTube, or read forum posts that help educate you on pug etiquette and the best strategies for getting the best rewards from your fleet actions or other PvE events. Today's lesson will discuss some of the best strategies for the 20-man fleet defense fleet action, this fleet event can be a complete disaster or provide a handsome amount of fleet marks. Joining me today is Matthew486, the fleet leader of Angry Tribbles and Priority One's Chief Strategic Operations Officer, or Mr. Smarty Pants for short. Like our friends over at the PvP Boot Camp, Matthew has become our go-to guy when we need to study, analyze, and provide educated reviews of game strategies, ship layouts, and character builds. Matthew, thanks for joining us today. Oh, glad to be here again. I'd like to start by providing a rundown of the actual mission itself. Talk to me about the actual mission logistics for this 20-man fleet defense. This fleet mission can be broken up into four simple phases. The first, you escort and defend escaping freighters. The second, you have to fight off some enemies that attack your starbase. Then, there's some enemies that want to go after your facilities, you have to go run over and defend those guys. And then, back to your starbase again for the final wave, defend the starbase at all costs. Let's talk a little bit about the objectives that players must accomplish. Are there many objectives that provide bonus rewards or anything of that nature? Well, unlike some of the other PvEQs, 
there aren't any specific optionals where you have to run off by yourself, go do it, and, you know, if anyone has a specific job. Like in Kinema Accord, for example, usually there's somebody specifically just defending probes from the Vortex, and that's all they do. In this, you want to stay with your team. In fact, that's usually where a lot of people fail. They break up too much, they go to a different team, and that can get things mixed up and cause problems, because then somebody can wind up not defending a facility at all. When you are flying around with your team, defending each individual object as needed, there are some key points in the mission's coding and mechanics that can improve your chances at maximizing your fleet marks. However, there are no specific side objectives outside of the objectives you need to worry about running around with your team specifically. You shouldn't be running around in circles or separating from your team too much. There will be always somewhere specific you need to go to achieve the best results. Alright, so let's talk about those rewards. What are the maximum rewards versus the minimum rewards you can receive for completing the fleet defense? Well, what's in it for me, you might be asking. This mission rewards fleet marks, which are required to help progress your fleet's starbase and embassy in further levels so you can unlock better gear and other various items. Fleet marks get converted into fleet credits when you do that, and those are instrumental in purchasing said items that get unlocked. The minimum reward for running this mission is somewhere around 30. However, recently we have gotten 99 fleet marks on several occasions. We actually thought there might be some kind of cap with that, but there was one or two times we got like 107 or 110 fleet marks, which is not bad considering you know, the mission takes about half an hour compared to some of the other events. You know, that's at least like another 20% for your time. But on average, at any given time, with a good run, you should expect to see between 50 and 70 fleet marks. To min-max this, you really want to get the fleet mark bonus pool of 100 fleet marks from your starbase. Costs 15,000 fleet credits. It gives you 20% more fleet marks until it is consumed, much like the other bonus pools in the game for skill points and commendation experience for doffs, things like that. And it always gives a minimum of one additional fleet mark. So if something rewards you one, you get one more. There is also an event that runs a couple times a day here and there for an hour or two hours where you get another 20% bonus fleet marks when you complete the event within that window. So if you start it beforehand, that's fine. You just have to finish after the event starts or before it finishes. Now, tell me, what is it about this mission that fascinates you most? You know, why should players be excited to play this mission correctly? Well, one of my favorite things about this game since I started playing was like a huge chaotic battle with a lot of stuff going on. You got a lot of players in there. You know, it really brings the massively multiplayer part of this game into focus when you're fighting with 20 other people against perhaps maybe even 100 or 200 shifts. It's, it's crazy and amazing. It really also gives you that Deep Space Nine episode, Sacrifice of Angels. It makes you feel like you're living that because, you know, oh, they outnumber us two to one. Uh, Cisco takes the Defiant and several of the fleets in to retake Deep Space Nine, and you're defending your starbase. It's a very similar feel. Cisco to all ships. Cruiser and Galaxy Wings drop to half impulse. You too, Commander. Half impulse. I feel sorry for the Klingons. They're going to miss a very interesting fight. I have a feeling we're going to miss them. Forget the Klingons. Our job is to get to Deep Space Nine and prevent the Dominion reinforcements from coming through the wormhole, and that's what we're going to do. Attack fighters. Tactical pattern Theta. Concentrate your fire on the Cardassian ships, and then split off into squadrons and run like hell. Alright, so let's get right into it. Let's talk about the most common traps players of this mission face. 
Well, one of the problems with this event, with a pug that doesn't know what's going on, or maybe is just playing it for the first time, they don't know which NPCs to target. And we'll go into more depth about that later on in the phase breakdown to let you know what you need to do there. With this event, you have a random enemy. It could be even be the Borg, it could be the Tholians if the Starbase is a high enough level. But most often you'll get Klingons, Gorn, Orions, etc. Everything else is pretty much very similar to if you've leveled up doing the missions, you've probably already fought against a lot of these other NPC ships. The Tholians have recently been nerfed. If you fought against Tholians in this mission, they used to shut down your weapons every five seconds. But they finally fixed that, so it's a little bit more reasonable. Alright, now probably the biggest difference between this and any other fleet action or Borg Special Task Force is that the mission requires a team of 20 players. And it's not very often that the average fleet can round up 20 people at once, jump on TeamSpeak or Ventrilo, and communicate strategies very easily. Let's say you can round up at least four to five elite team members that you are comfortable playing with. How can this change the outcome of the mission? Well, if everyone knows their role and what's going on beforehand, whether just experience from running this mission many times or a group of people that run it together, communication is not that important. But if you're trying to do something specific or if you queue with a four-man team and you don't talk about it beforehand, you're probably going to run Ventrilo. Like if you just jump right into it. But I've easily, in chat, have talked to members like, okay, this is what you need to do, basic bullet line, this is what you want to look out for, do this, do this. And then during the mission itself, we usually don't talk all that much. If you're pugging with a small team, and you want to try to secure as much as the optional possible, you kind of have to go against the grain and against normal logic and actually split up your team. Normally in a perfect world, you want every team to stay together and do their job. But sometimes you can't always rely on a pug to do that. So I've had a strategy before where I've sent one person to each of the four facilities with a specific setup or at least one or two specific powers in their build in order to achieve the goals necessary to get as much of the optional as possible. All right, let's go ahead and break this mission down into phases, shall we? All right, talk to us about the first phase of this mission, defending the outbound freighters. The first part's pretty easy. You're going to be waiting probably about two minutes before you even get to the battle. Then there's going to be two waves of probably about a little bit more than half a dozen ships that are going to come in and try to attack you and the freighters. You just need to kill everything as fast as you can before they kill the freighters. If you've got any ally targetable heals, you know, throw a heal or two on the freighter if it's getting weak. Good tip here is to change your heads-up display settings so you can see the life bars of enemy ships at all times so you can get an idea of what's going on. As soon as you defeat the first wave, there might be one ship left over or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what triggers it, but then the next wave always seems to come in before the first wave is completely defeated. And just defeat them, rinse and repeat. Alright, now what do you see is the biggest mistake you find players doing during phase one of the mission? Sometimes it's possible that this mission will only start with 15 players. The minimum is 15, it can be up to 20. And usually the fourth group will get left out and absolutely no one will go to it if it is the case, if it's a slow day. So everyone always wants to kind of look around and check and see what's going on there. Beyond that, just general play skill damage output or healing output, some people just aren't quite up to speed where it needs to be to run this kind of mission. 
And again, these freighters come in north, south, east, and west. So generally, there should be four groups of teams protecting the freighters north, south, east, and west. It's not like it's going to be, oh, it's kind of southwest or another quadrant. Yeah, you can't split it up at all. They're too far apart. In the event that something like that does happen and you do finish early, a good thing to do is maybe have some engine batteries or the special Universal Console Impulse Burst. You can use that to skip across the map as quickly as possible, maybe help defend another side. Alright, let's go ahead and move into the second phase of the fleet defense, which is to, well, defend the fleet starbase. This phase is pretty interesting. As hard as I've tried as really decked out healer, I have never seen the starbase survive this phase. However, that's not a big deal, because fortunately that does not hurt a reward at all. The starbase essentially regenerates for the final round. However, anybody with a weak graphics card or weak internet connection, this phase has a problem with that, where it's pretty much at least 50 ships or more, plus pets, mines, you know, little fighters. There's so much going on. Not only is it chaotic for the player to actually run through this and actually shoot anything coherently, it can also be a problem for your computer. Beyond that, Gravity Well is a great power to have for this part, because the more ships you can cluster together and use some AoE attacks, might be some secondary explosions with warp core breaches next to other ships and take to themselves out almost. That's pretty much the only strategy guide I can offer here, is just shoot everything. Kill it. Kill it now. So it's pretty much guns blazing. Yeah, and that's the really fun part about this mission, because... This particular phase is what most feels like the Sacrifice of Angels battle with just ships everywhere. Things blowing up left and right. You don't hardly know what's going on. All right, so you've survived the onslaught. Now we're at phase three. Very similar to the first phase, you're going to have two groups of enemies warp in, but instead of defending the freighters, you're defending the facilities. And Unlike normal damage, where something gets damaged and you can target it with a heal, like hazard emitters, and repair it, this is a different mechanic, because it's sabotaging it with a progress bar. And it's only one specific ship that does it, and typically it's the biggest ship in the group, and it'll be the only ship of that type. One example is a Talon battleship, and they will use emergency power to engines to get closer to the facility once they warp in, so they can do that sabotaging. So what you want to do is bring with you some kind of crowd control, gravity well, tractor beams, some kind of plasma cloud, either eject warp plasma or vent theta radiation, something to keep that thing in place away from the facility so you can destroy it before it even gets there to damage anything. In the unfortunate event that if anything does get damaged, you can do some quite literal damage control and repair some of it by getting close to the facility and there will be an interact button that says send damage control teams. And Maybe it sabotaged it to 50%, but you might be able to give it back 15 or 20%. So, at least, you know, it's not quite as bad. Once the sabotaging ship has been destroyed, you'll then need to destroy all its escorts, and then another wave will come in again, and you've got to be on your toes, have those tractor beams ready, because then you're going to have to kill another sabotaging ship again, and it'll be the same exact type of ship as the previous time. Alright, so do the other enemy ships affect the progression of the objective at all? In other words, can the team or the group in that quadrant ignore them, the rest of the ships, until the lead ship is destroyed? Essentially, yes, that's what you want to do. Just ignore them until the lead ship is destroyed. Okay, so let's do a quick rundown of Phase 3. So, 
Kill the biggest ship first. Always. They mess up the starbase. The progress bars are bad. If you see one, kill it. Kill that master ship. Also, bring some crowd control powers. For instance, eject warp plasma, gravity well, or tractor beam. This will slow down the lead ship from sabotaging your installation. Alright, and now on to the final phase of the fleet defense mission. This could be the most critical part of this whole mission. The Starbase's remaining hull hit points percentage will be graded for your final fleet mark score. Siege Dreadnoughts, they will try to get closer to the Starbase from when they warp in. They're pretty far out, so you're going to have to hunt them down. Begin charging up progress bars once they are within range, and this can particularly take out large chunks of the Starbase's health and or finish it off if it's low. And oh, by the way, pretty much every other ship that warps in, including plain old-fashioned dreadnoughts, will also have their targets set to the Starbase. The Starbase needs at least two dedicated healers if you've got any hope of keeping it alive. Preferably three or more, if at all possible. No more than five would be needed, really. That would be kind of excessive. Supplemental hazard emitters or tactical teams for smaller ships can also help if there's limited healers available or if some reason it's taking more damage than they can help heal. With some smaller ships having some crowd control, focus fire more on the siege dreadnoughts, both to keep them away from the starbase if possible and to also defeat them as quickly as possible. The siege dreadnoughts, they do have some massive shield hit points and resists. A lot of pure energy damage to their shields is required to bring down a facing so you can start taking out their huge hull hit points at that point. Quantums or Tricobolts used to be my favorites. Tricobolts recently may not be the best idea because they have splash damage on yourself now. But Quantums are nice because they have a shield penetration bonus and they still do decent damage. So that way, say you got a Defiant. It's got four dual heavy cannons in the front and a Quantum Mine Launcher in the back and then you're firing everything you've got forward and mines are coming from behind you and doing pretty much as much damage as like almost torpedo spread one if you will give or take maybe a little less one last final thought if you happen to have the tachyon mines from the low buy store or might be considering purchasing them i've used them myself and they come quite in handy for anything with big shields like these guys and especially using mine dispersal pattern beta with them is, is even better they debuff the shield resistance 2.5% per mine for 10 seconds. That's pretty huge. Not only does it damage to the shields, and then it debuffs the resistance. We really need more powers like this in the game. At this point, probably been shooting a while. Once you've defeated two or three of the Siege Dreadnoughts, it's going to be a lot easier and it's going to go really quickly because at this point you're chewing down the entire fleet You've still got just as many players, but there's half as many ships. If you're getting towards the end of the mission, and you know that uh, the last few ships are about to be destroyed, it might help out to throw a few extra hull heals on the starbase if you can, to get it as close to 100% as possible. This means every ship available. That way you're going to maximize your points before you uh, finish the mission off. Okay, awesome. Well, that takes care of some of the best practices for successfully beating this fleet action. Are there any special items, tools, consumables that you think would benefit players most for this mission? Well, apart from some of the powers and everything we've already talked about, another thing I want to touch upon is going back to fleet credits and some items that can be unlocked at your starbase. We are a Tier 3 fleet. 
All of our facilities are also tier 3. We have unlocked items for our ships, such as space weapons, but there's also operational assets and operational boosts. The boosts can, depending upon your starbase level, give you either like plus 1 to all science abilities, plus 1 to all engineering abilities, or plus 1 to all military abilities, so on and so forth, depending upon what tier you're at. And this works team-wide, so only one team member has to have these active. And you can get a slight edge through all your skills, which is nice. On top of that, you have consumable items for spawning either mines at each facility, respectfully. There's also ships that you can call in reinforcements. A couple of my favorites would be the Defiant package and the Imperial-class cruiser you can buy. It costs one fleet provision for operational assets and 3,000 fleet credits. It will run around, use emergency power to shields, it has beams, it uses beam overload, and it drops transphasic mines, chroniton mines, and quantum mines. The transphasic mine launcher is special. It launches 30 at a time. So this thing's just spitting out minefields left and right. There's also lots of other stuff in there. I urge you to take a look, check it out, maybe try some of them out if you'd like. Awesome. Well, Captains, we've just armed you with the knowledge for the best approach to tackle the massive 20-man fleet starbase mission. Hopefully, you'll be able to offer pugs of the mission a little more strategy to earn the best rewards. And although people don't often talk in zone chat, feel free to let them know where they can go to get schooled on how best to run the mission, right here on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Again, I'd like to thank Matthew, 486DX, the fleet leader of Angry Tribbles, and Priority One's chief strategic operations officer for offering his insights on the best practices for this seemingly intimidating fleet action. How can players find you, Matthew? Well, you can find me and my team in-game. We have an, a global channel we've been using both for our fleet and other members of Stowe Community to uh, run some PvEQs and hopefully avoid those devastating pugs sometimes. The channel is UFG, and uh, you can, of course, join up by going into your chat settings or running the command in the game, slash channel underscore join space UFG. We'd love to hear from you if you're looking to improve your gaming style, or perhaps you're a lone elite player looking for somewhere to go. Don't have to join our fleet to be with us. We just like to have fun, chat, blow things up. Well, that wraps up Field Notes for Episode 124 of Priority One. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See? Feedback on episode 123, Stowe Forum. Azurian Star says, I only heard a little bit of what happened to Terry Lynn's fleet recently, but I didn't know the details until today. It might not be much, but I'd like to offer my sort of tier 3 fleet as a temporary base until PW can get Caspian back their home, lock, stock, and barrel. That's awesome. Azurian Star is very nice of you. Terry Lynn has told us that many, many fleets have opened their doors and contributed, and the community has really come together for them, which has been fantastic, and we're super happy for Terry and the whole Caspian division. And sorry to hear what happened, but you know what? The iron that's in the fire longer is stronger. So I really like their new name, Caspian Rising. It's very appropriate. Rock on, guys, and keep going. 
Vesterenge writes in, about the security issue, the details are a little vague. You say the fleet leader, that was Caspian's fleet leader, got hacked, but it was really one of his friends who found out his password. As a fleet leader, he has to be smart enough to actually lead. If it was some backdoor command line or whatever game glitch that made it possible to walk into other people's fleet and take it over, it would be another matter. So Raven writes, just listen to the show. First, I feel bad for Caspian Fleet. I do, and I'm glad that they're lifting their heads high to find some resolve. However, from my understanding, no hacking was done here. This was a case of loose passwords. Let justice be done. But the one who allowed this to happen should be punished equally as well. The only way that this can be prevented is having a fleet leader that has total control and is very protective of what he owns. Like James was saying, major props to Caspian for coming back as strong as they did and for giving the guy that did all this to them. I'm going to probably say the brush off. There are other ways you can say that. But the second part of this is saying that people have to take some responsibility for themselves and have a fleet leader that paying attention to this. Very true. And we went into a variety of different ways that you can protect yourself now with the current system and keep that sort of stuff safe. Uh, Elijah mentioned the LastPass service, and we talked about uh, restricting permissions to only the people that need it. But there's something else at play here, and I want to talk to you guys about this and see what you think. Does Cryptic need to have something in place that will assure people that even if they have an irresponsible fleet leader or if there's an accident or, or they somehow get hacked. Is Cryptic responsible for the security of the fleet starbase in the absence yes. of the fleet leader's security? Yes, 100% wholeheartedly, because there's actually a money sink going into these fleet starbases. No matter what, people's computers can get hacked and passwords can get lost or something can happen. Albeit a weak password, albeit the mistake of sharing a password, whatever it may be. What's going on here is that it takes five to create a fleet, but only one to destroy it. So measures should be put into place, a mechanic, whether it's a timed demotion system or that it takes five fleet leaders to demote another fleet leader or four others, a senate. Some mechanic needs to be put into place to protect the fleet from one person's mistake or one person's AWOL, you know, going completely AWOL and saying, well, I'm going to take everything with me. I completely don't agree with a one-leader dictatorship because there is so much room for corruption and so much room for mistake there, no matter what you do, that it really should be five people to start it, five people to destroy it, or a fail-safe that, like you said last week, Tony, that is a, a timed demotion system. Hey, even the Enterprise took three people to self-destruct, remember? Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you guys, because it turns out that the Grand Nagus agrees with us. The Grand Nagus writes in, hopefully the experience of Caspian Fleet will motivate the devs to make improvements to fleet security. I think the best and easiest solution is simply to have a cool down between removing officers like you guys discussed. But anyway, best wishes to Caspian Fleet in their hard times. And yes, this is the same Grand Nagus, just older and wiser. Thanks, Nagus. It's good to have you back. It's good to have you back. Good to hear from him. So Sean Newboy says, so based on the outtakes, Elijah has trouble counting down from three? Very interesting. Excellent show, guys. Yeah, Elijah A, has B, trouble C. counting. Easy as one, two, three. Uh, 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 I well, don't know the song. It's backwards uh, uh, he has trouble with. No more oh, coffee. Yeah. Three, two, one. Easy as C, B, A. No more coffee. Those are the only letters that I can do backwards. If Man, I could never do my alphabet backwards. Elkinar writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com, the new crystalline entity looks great, and the basic mechanics are better than previous iterations. But 
it's way too easy. It's even listed in the PVEQ menu as elite difficulty, while many events listed as normal difficulty are harder. And I have to agree, actually. The first time I ran through it, I was like, wait. I think it's a good normal yeah. event. I don't think yes. yeah, I don't yeah. think it's elite, but I think it's a normal event. Yu Chen writes in, Warbird's even slower than the Galaxy class? Good luck with that. Yeah, no kidding. The Galaxy's a beast. It's a tank. Not like the Nebula, though. The Nebula's worse. But yeah, I'm not, don't expect to turn on a dime with your Warbird, apparently. Tawani says, I totally agree that if it takes X to create a fleet, it should take that same amount of time to disband it. Also, timers on promotions, demotions make sense. More people agreeing with us. I'm loving this. I'm loving all the people thinking we're so smart. I know. I know. Recognition. Sargon, nice show, team. The discussion of security issues was interesting and insightful. I'm sorry to hear about Terry's fleet, though. It's unfortunate such a terrible thing happened to someone who gives so much to the Star Trek community. Kudos to the Stowe Academy for their revamp of the skill tree application on their website. I know many of the coaches at the boot camp use this incredible tool. Agreed. And thank you, Sargon, and also agreed about Terry's fleet. It is very unfortunate because Terry really does give so much of her time and herself to this community. She's such a great lady. We want to thank everybody for their feedback. Boy, do we love hearing from you. Don't forget you can reach out to us via email at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com or you can uh, visit us on our website or Find us on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. Well, that wraps up episode 124, broadcasted live from TrekRadio.net. Remember, we are on the air every Thursday night at 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. We've been getting some amazing feedback, and we love our live audience. Come have fun with us, please. It's a blast. We love it. Don't forget, Captains, the Priority One Network is expanding, and we're in need of two audio editors to help with the weekly publication of our podcast. If you feel you're the guy or gal for the job, then send us a sample of your work to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, we're looking for your suggestions and ideas for Trek It Out, Field Notes, and our Community Spotlight segment, or general show improvements and additions. You can submit your ideas and questions via our online forum on PriorityOnePodcast.com, or... Reach us via email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We're also on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or Twitter at STO Priority One. Did you get all that? Because that was a lot. <laughs> As Elijah said, you can also find us on Facebook. You can head on over to Facebook.com slash PriorityOnePodcast and leave us a message. You can also check us out on Twitter, as Elijah said, at Priority One. For showtimes and other cool things, you can also follow our individual Twitters, which you can find the information for on our website, and follow us individually where we talk about the show and other interests. For instance, if you follow mine, you see my motorcycle trips, you see all my Iron Man stuff, and many, many more things. So if you're interested at all in following our weird lives, feel free. We would like to thank our guest, Matthew486DX, the entire team over at Priority One Podcast, our production assistant and art director, Alex Calderwood, our audio engineer, Lennon Rich, and the latest addition to our team, Shivery Bean, and Shinsei, and the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com, and our syndication partners, Subspace Radio, Trek Radio, and, of course, the Trek Radio live crew. More importantly, you guys, the Stowe community. Without you, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage.
Transfer complete. In this week's Field Notes segment, we teach you the right way to pug. Uh, let me reset. In this week's Field Notes segment, I shouldn't have had that coffee, man. All right. I know. What a crackhead. Right, three, three, two. In this week's Field Notes segment, we teach you the right way to pug the 20-man fleet action for maximum rewards. As always, towards the end of the show, we hear James breathe loudly into his microphone. <laughs> that's my favorite part. That's why. That's why I come that's, to these. That's things. why I listen to the show because it's. I love. It's because of you, Elijah. I, All right. I can't help it. Elijah's talking. Oh God. <laughs> James, if you're muted, you're not being heard. Ah, oh, crap. When you said that, I wanted to go. The stars at night shine big and bright. Deep in the heart. Sorry. I gotta finish it. Deep I'm in with the you, man. I did the clapping. Texas. No more <laughs> coffee for Elijah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll have to see. Let's send someone there. I nominate Elijah, James. Uh, Elijah volunteers. <laughs> we both were sending each other instantly. <laughs> Go to another planet, damn you. Well, you have to pay for your Super Mo guy somehow. That's right. Damn it. You gotta, right. you gotta find some way to pay for Super Mo guy. Go walk yeah. those streets. I like a like a champ, okay? By the way, you still owe me twenty dollars. Okay. Oh. Oh God. Now, now um that it's hard to move on. <clears throat> I pay the gold press latinum. That's dirty. Uh okay. It was it was sweaty glitter covered gold press line. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's I the blooper. The there's, there's your blooper right there. First, I feel bad for the for the okay. If you feel you're the guy or gal for the job, then send us a sample of your work to incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. You ended that kind of weird. Yeah, I did. did. You ended up on because I was ready to read yeah, it. That was yeah. like That's such calm. a terrible. That was a blonde That's moment. Like, are you legally blonde? You are a lawyer. Oh, Shh. Shh. don't tell everybody. They'll God. They already as think I'm a jerk. Teacup poodle. He's like Shh. as he pets his teacup poodle. <laughs> <laughs> Silence, Mister Bigglesworth will attack you. All right, uh, I'll do that last sentence again. Or te- teacup. If you feel blonde. you're the guy or gal for the job. Shut up. My, My bad. will go after you. I clearly don't know what's happening in the Trek Radio decks right now. Gosh, just play the song. No, stop. Sorry, give me a second, folks. I, I need to play the our, our music and wear my heart. This is the part of the show where we make up words while Elijah there fiddles with his buttons. Okay, here we go. Fiddly right, sticks. There we go. And our community spotlight segment. Seg- <laughs> and our community segment. Um, have you gone into Tribble and Respect? Um, well, yes, I have with my Fed character. Um, and it was awesome. Uh, what did I notice? Well, obviously, there were nine slots. Um, what <laughs> Yo, was James, lacking? You totally mm. missed the mark, bro. So it's more like you should ask the rest of your hosts. <laughs> well, I- <laughs> I've done it, oh, so man. I was he was on a myself, roll, but, okay. man. He was on a he roll. Was he was going. on a roll. He was going. You just you, you shut him down. You shut <laughs> him down. 
All right. Do you see what I have to work with, people? Do you see this? You see what I have to work with? You know what? I I throw in the towel. Have you gone on triple yet in respect? I have, James. Have you gone on triple in respect? No, f*** you. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, crap. So much for family hour. Stand by. Technical difficulties. All right. How's that? Is that better? I'll get you next time, James. Next time. Yeah, right.